Hello, and welcome to the Bayside Chapel Sermon Series Podcast. I am your host, Marcus Duckworth, and today I'm joined by Pastor Ken Carlson and his wife, Laura. Today we discuss with Pastor Ken Daniel chapter 4 and Nebuchadnezzar's second dream, how God deals with our prideful hearts and the lengths that he is willing to go to in order to help us be humble. All right, so today we're going to be talking about Daniel chapter 4. Pride uh, is the focus of the sermon this week. So one of the big points, Pastor Ken, that you made was there are four poisonous principles of pride, and I'm glad there wasn't another P in there somewhere added to that, that phrase. We had pride regards achievement as a product of self. Pride refuses to acknowledge the authority of God. Pride rejects the advice of godly people. Pride results in abject humiliation. So one of the things that that comes from that, that series is what's the difference in being prideful and taking pride in being or being proud in the, in a sense of achievement, like proud of your kids, because we all had that moment. They did something great, you know, whether they was athletic or academic or just being kind to that kid next to them. What was the difference there? Well, one, that's a good question. Um, one has to do with idolizing self, um, putting self at the center. Those the, are my kids. Those are right. Right. And they're, and, and not their mother's kids. They're well, my kids. But that's a good point though, too, because pride even could come up in conversation with someone when, you know, with, you know, when you, a lot of times you see uh, some, especially when kids are adults, you'll see parents talking about their kids and it, it's like they're trying to one up each other on whose kid is better. That's, that's pride saying when, you know, your student, or your, your child gets a good grade in school or achieves something, you know, saying, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you accomplished is that's, that's just simply another way of using the word pride or, or proud, but that's just a form of encouragement. Um, one, ha- you're lifting up your child. I mean, I still, it's funny because I've actually been a little mindful of this, uh, especially since I've been studying it, but even what was it last night? I was really happy with Elizabeth. Elizabeth is our seven-year-old. Um, she was very patient with a task that we asked her to do, and it took a while. And she came up to me, and I gave her a big hug, and I said, I'm proud of you. And then I quickly corrected that, <laughs> and I said, I really, really appreciate how patient and diligent you were. Yeah. Um, simply because I'm real, I've realized that we use the term um, proud or um, in – we just use it so casually um, and we celebrate it. I mean, think about how it's used in, in society, you know, white pride, black pride, gay pride, pride parades, um, you know, so it's, it's celebrated. So even just kind of changing our terminology a little bit um, can help. But again, those are two different things saying I'm proud of, you know, something somebody did, or it's even, you know, even improper, uh, there's proper pride too, in the sense that, you know, I, I worked hard for something and the Lord helped me achieve it. Um, and that's something I'm proud of, but that's not a haughty type of pride. That's not an arrogant type of pride. Um, that's a, Hey, I'm, this is pretty cool that the Lord used me. Right. So, 
Yeah, I think that's when self is at the center and being idolized. That's really what Daniel 4 is talking about. Yeah. Pride is one of those things that uh, is is something I struggle with a lot. Not sure if that's part of the culture I was raised in or if that's just my sinful nature. Uh, I really appreciated the the, the C.S. Lewis quote. Uh, it, it starts that pride always means enmity. And it finishes, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And C.S. Lewis is, has always got that way of taking just a simple idea of we're down here and we're trying to look down on our fellow man and we need to be looking up at God and, and reflecting him. Um, and I, I see a, a good correlation in Genesis chapter 3 that this was the first time the word enmity is used in the Bible. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Again, this is uh, the conversation that the God is having with the serpent and man and woman after they have sinned. Part of the temptation Adam and Eve felt was pride. Uh, to paraphrase what the serpent said was, God doesn't want you to eat of this tree because he doesn't want you to be smart like him. It seems that pride is one of those devil's go-to tricks. So what does it look like when believers refuse to acknowledge the authority of God intentionally or otherwise? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think um, when believers, because obviously as a believer, we um, still battle our flesh and I think one of the easiest ways of thinking about pride for a believer is to think of flesh, you know, anything opposed to the spirit, anything I'm doing in my own strength. Um, so for a believer to re- refuse to acknowledge God's authority um, could be something as simple as I'm, you know, a, a situation happens and I'm going to handle this uh, my way and not seeing how God might want you to handle it or seeking godly counsel from others. Um, those are, you're not submitting that situation to the authority of God. That's, that's just a simple example of pride. And what's, but it even, it could, it's really across the board because you even see things like theological pride. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in when people in certain theological camps, um, you know, make the, stake the claim that they have all the right answers on something and will argue it and defend it. And if you don't believe with them, you're the heretic. That's theological pride, especially when scripture is, um, could be interpreted a couple different ways with some of those, uh, theological topics. Uh, but I think, I think all across the board, anytime we're doing something out of our own strength, out of our, um, own willpower, out of our own wisdom, out of our own intellect, and not in submission to the Lord or independence on the indwelling Christ, um, we're being proud. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I think stems from my pride uh, is that I also struggle with receiving compliments. That it, if I feel awkward, you know, two things, because one, I'm very introverted and it crosses two segments that are hard for me doing things in the public eye 
to be recognized and then talking to people afterwards because that, that, that also makes me uncomfortable. And, and so for instance, this podcast, um, I've heard several people come up and talk to me and, and thank us for what we're doing here. And the moment that someone asked me something like that, I, I, I go turtle, my head goes in the shell and it's very hard for me to, 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 to take that compliment. Uh, so I want to just, just say to those that are listening, thank you for joining us and engaging in this conversation. And again, that the goal of this podcast is to deepen the relationship that we have with our Bayside family and to grow in the grace and the love of God. So praise God for blessing us with godly teachers and shepherds who care about those who God has brought to Bayside. So thank you very much for everybody. And we, we appreciate um, the, the listening and, and the comments that we've received so far. And again, the, you all have the opportunity uh, in the congregation during the sermon to submit questions for the podcast. If you go to the app, uh, it's right there with the sermon notes that you can submit a question. Back to, to our topic at hand. Uh, I am very blessed to have a wife who is completely honest with me uh, when she sees, uh, where she recognizes pride in the things that I'm doing. Um, it, it never feels good in the moment, but I know that she means well, and I feel that it's the Spirit prompting her uh, to say something to me. Uh, similarly, Daniel had such a great relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar that not only did he feel compelled to ask him to repent, he was passionate about it because he really cared about the king. And this week, you know, we're, uh, we're not recording in video. We, this is audio only. So, uh, unless I actually say something, no one knows that it's your wife here in the room with us recording. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she is similarly humble in the way that she talks to you about any prideful things that she notices or, you know, those, those times. And it's always, uh, I, I love to see you guys bantering because I know that there's a lot of love there. And that's your style. Can you think of an example I, where you had to call me out on something? Honestly, I was thinking as he, as Marcus was talking about him and Taya and like calling him out on pride stuff. I was trying to honestly think because I've seen you and I have seen people we know, people we've heard of in ministry that it seems that the minute pride became a player in the game, there was a huge fall mm. and it was always one of the scarier things that I thought could threaten our ministry. So I try to keep, I, I try to be open to what God has to show me or show me to you or mm. anything in that regard. Um, I don't think you, you're not particularly prideful in many areas. I think because of where you came from and your past, and I've seen your past, that there's nothing like you, there is nothing you have done to put yourself where you are today. If anything, you have hindered any, <laughs> any, any uh, progress. But I do see some things where when you think, I don't know if I can word this right. I don't know if the right message is going to come across. I can see that you're still trying to do it in your own strength. That's, and you have a hard time submitting that over because it's like, I must do this good job. But it's not. 
Yeah. You. That's a good point. And I think, and I think we often tend to think of pride primarily in the loud, boisterous, look at me aspect. But that's a good point in that pride could also rear its ugly head in, uh, like in insecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably where. And I think that's where my yes. pride would be more in, uh, more of the insecurity. Because you were never the arrogant, I look at me, like you never wanted people to look at you. Right. You always wanted to stay in the shadows, get zero attention. But I think due to that, you take on so much responsibility into your own ability to do things because mm. it's kind of how you were trained. That's good. Yeah. That, that was kind of leading into the, the quote that, that C.S. Lewis has that basically the idea is sin is the pathway to all other sins. You know, pride is very easily sucked into all the, you know, oh, I don't need to go speed the speed limit because I, I've got nothing to fear. Mm-hmm. I don't need to watch myself when I'm, you know, interacting with other people. I, you know, I'm above that. I don't need... All those things really, the, the root is pride, but the sin reflects in other ways. Mm, that's uh, right. One of the things, just 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 to be a, a little humorous, I come from the Midwest, and there's a lot of horrible drivers, especially from Ohio. And so <laughs> I would, um, I always had a theory that there are three causes for traffic issues: ignorance of the law, prideful arrogance towards the law or people from Ohio. <laughs> and now that I'm living in New Jersey, I guess I have to adapt that the, the, the third is cause for accidents is people from Pennsylvania. So hopefully no one from the other side of the Delaware River uh, is listening, uh, but we blame you for all the problems towards the shore. You probably haven't been behind many Connecticut drivers. Though. <laughs> all I can say is that even from the Midwest, I must have always been trained to drive like I'm from New Jersey because mm. I get it. It, you know, you don't you don't go sixty miles an hour in the left hand lane here if you want to survive. That's right. All right. Uh, so moving on, you uh, you had several supporting scriptures to go along with Daniel four. All of them come from wisdom literature. Uh, we have the the book of Psalms, uh, the book of Proverbs, and James. James is uh, regarded as New Testament wisdom literature. I have a. a and a New Testament professor uh, from seminary who actually believed that the book of James is actually not a linear writing, but a collection of uh, wisdom that he wrote during his lifetime, or he said during his lifetime, but it was uh, sent out posthumously as a book of writings of James uh, in wisdom literature. Yeah, so that's a good point. When we preached James uh, some years back, we preached it, you know, verse by verse, but um, very legitimately and um, with integrity to the scripture, you can preach James uh, thematically. Yeah. um, Because, yeah, you're right. It's it is uh, a collection as well. Yeah. And it's one of those books that even Martin Luther struggled with to, to understand its place. And it takes a lot of heat as. Churches that have very dogmatic beliefs, that have a lot of legalism as the source of their theology, they love James. That's that's what I was gro- uh, 
I grew up in those churches, and it, it's hard to find a lot of grace in the writings of James, but it's there, veiled under this understanding that there are works, but you know there's grace to, to what you're doing. So, um, just to kind of hit on a couple of the, the, the scriptures that you said, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Uh, again, reflecting to, to what King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he had this great kingdom, he built this empire of things, and it still came from God. Our leaders today, we know from from what Paul says that who has been in, uh, in, put in power, they're there because God put them there. He had Psalm 10, uh, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Uh, that's Psalm 10, verse 4. You know, we get full of ourselves, and we leave no room for God in the Holy Spirit. The next, we have Proverbs. The, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Again, especially if we're listening to godly advice, we, we need to make sure that we have, we put ourselves in, in that light that we're receiving good counsel. Proverbs 16, probably one of the more popular verses against pride that uh, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, a lot of times we shorten that to, you know, pride uh, goes before a fall. That's Proverbs sixteen eighteen. 18. Uh, then again, we have James 4, uh, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And, and that comes to that turning point after the seven years Nebuchadnezzar was Mentally, uh, as an animal, there was a, a scientific term for that that you used. Yeah, that was uh, boanthropy. 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 Yep. Boanthropy the, being the um, psychological term for when someone behaves, acts, lives like a cow or uh, mm-hmm. an ox. Yeah. So that's you every morning. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, bovine, yes, that's that's, 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 good. that's, that's, good. that's the, the root of it, yes. So that also brings to the, the resolution of pride, what uh, Nebuchadnezzar was going through, that God restored him when he approached him with humility. And it seemed like, for a lot of us, he just struck him in that moment like, oh, I've, I've been a real ass about this, and God has corrected me. And I had this physical manifestation of it, and now I can turn back to him, and, and I've seen the error of my ways. God restores the proud when they approach him in humility. That was the, the fifth point uh, to the, the opposing poisonous postures of pride. Uh, and the, the big idea that you presented, that the Most High God humbles the proud so they would know he prevails. Those are our, our big our big points for, for the sermon this week. And so true that we see that in our lives. We see that in all the people that, that we've seen major falls from uh, leadership in, in the church throughout the, the United States. That, yeah, pride has gotten in the way and God humbles them. Uh, <clears throat> and we see what happens when we ignore the way that God tries to humble us. He just continues to lay us low until... We, we figure it out. And some of us, we won't see it on this, this side of uh, heaven that God is working to, to 
have, help us be more humble. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's, that's right. So the big idea statement, like you said, was the most high God humbles the proud so they would know he prevails. And the whole idea there is not, you know, the, the picture of God there isn't as, you know, a, a proud divine figure. Right. He's not trying to push worship. under his thumb and right. control us. It's because, mean. it's because he knows what's best for us. Right. <laughs> he knows what's best for our eternity, our, our, for our eternal well-being. He will go um, to great lengths to shake us out of our spiritual apathy and pride. So one of the things that you wanted to, to reflect on in, in your sermon notes was how was Nebuchadnezzar's experience an illustration of biblical truth? Yeah, so Proverbs sixteen eighteen, as you, you quoted before, I'll, I'll say it again. Um, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, a haughty spirit there being, um, you know, arrogant pride. Um, you know, so that his, his fall, his um, seven years spent um, in that psychological state of boanthropy, um, was his fall, was his uh, destruction. And you see all the pride leading up to that pride in his achievements, pride in his successes, pride in his, um, in his kingdom, pride in his building projects. And that uh, statement that he makes when he's on the roof of his palace and he says, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. So he's glorifying self. Um, and that, that was it. And then that was the moment when, as he was speaking those words, um, that decree, that heavenly decree uh, began to be realized. During that seven years, was he lucid? Like, was he aware that he was stuck as a cow? Or was it, like, was he actually stripped of that? Was it more like a, what do they call it, like a dissociative fugue? Like, was he aware of what he was doing? Or was it just where he woke up and was like, oh my gosh, what have I been doing? Um, I don't know. Because that would be very scary. The, the, <laughs> the, what you see in, in verse 34, um, where, he's, where it says, at the end of the days... You know, at the end of those those seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. So, right. So is the implication there that those seven years he refused to? Or was it that he was bound to do that for those seven years regardless? Like an um, utter loss of control of his right. own existence. Right. Right. Well, because um, it gives the exam the, the prophecy talks about what his hair looked like right? and to have your nails grow out that much. If you're not, you know, taking care of those for seven years, I could imagine that they're, you know, several inches long at that point. And I don't know how many sane people walk around with yeah. fingernails that are multiple inches long and can handle that. <laughs> um, the long yeah. hair I get sometimes some people are okay to do that, but, but the, the nails that would definitely be a, a mental stability question I would have. Yeah. So there's no doubt that he wasn't completely stable, but whether or not he had the opportunity prior to that, to those seven years to um, lift up his eyes, um, you know, maybe he was just, we, we don't know the answer to that question, but it is a good question. Um, and I think you could, you could speculate and I guess you might not be wrong, whichever way you speculate because the scripture is silent on that. Do we hear from scripture who was running the kingdom during those seven years? His no. wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, uh, scripture is silent on that. 
historically speaking, they believe it was um, one of his sons because toward the the end um, of toward the end of his reign, there's like a ten year period where uh, basically he had his son as co regent, and he went south to um, uh, build help uh, to build up one of the a capital in the south uh, in southern Babylon uh, called uh, Tema. Um, so some scholars postulate that it was during that time when he wasn't even in that, that he had kind of retreated to that area. Uh, and it was because you have a lot written records, extra biblical outside scripture records that, you know, talk about the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, this would be Nebuchadnezzar the second, but it's very silent. The, um, extra biblical sources are very silent the last 10 years, um, and this might be the reason why. Uh, so, yeah, so it was, I think it was his son who, who was a co-regent during that time. So let's contrast the, uh, the, the pre-bovine years for Nebuchadnezzar uh, with the, the example. Well, that's the best way I can say I that, I think. <laughs> um, let, let's contrast that with the, the example that was left for us it's with Christ. vegan years. Yeah. Uh, so Philippians 2, 5 through 11 there's a, there's a lot of examples of Jesus and how he interacted with people. And unless he was talking to usually the, the Pharisees, he was very kind and considerate and loving in his tone and in his actions. And still, when he was dealing with the Pharisees, it was out of love. Not always was it gentle and, and came across in a, in a loving way. So what specifically from Philippians uh, are we going to take away from the, the humility of Jesus showed. Well, in Philippians 2, um, you know, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi and he's, you know, there were a decent, decent church, um, lots to celebrate, pretty joyful. And he's encouraging them to um, make sure that they do all they can to ensure harmony and unity. Um, within the church. Um, so one of the things he talks about that's essential to having that kind of unity, that kind of harmony, um, is that everybody has the posture of a servant. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody considers the other, um, you know, and that's, I, I may have been C.S. Lewis, um, who actually also said humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Um, and essentially that's what, the, what Paul's trying to get at in the beginning of Philippians 2. And then he says, um, you know, if, if you want to know how this works, look at Jesus. And then in, in verse 6 about Jesus, he says, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Um, so you're, you're, he's starting out with this, with Jesus on the throne, you know, Jesus up, up high, lifted in the heavens. He was in the form of God. He didn't encounter equality with God, a thing to be grasped, you know, the son of God, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. So you see this, um, this humiliation of Christ. And I'm not using the term humiliation there as we normally use it, but, um, his, his condescending from heaven, taking on the form of a man and then uh, a servant. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So you have this whole condescension of Jesus, his him from glory, um, the son of God in glory, being uh, born um, as a man, 
becoming a servant of a man and then dying for men and not any death, but the worst kind of death at the time. Um, so all of these steps down, that's pure humility. I mean, he's the, the creator of the universe. Um, if there's any single person who has a right to not be humble, it would be mm-hmm. Christ. And then you see how God exalted him. Um, because Philippians 2 goes on uh, to say, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. Um, so there's a stark contrast there between Nebuchadnezzar um, and and Christ. You know, Nebuchadnezzar being um, sinful, merciless, um, he glorified himself, um, he aspired to sovereignty, but then you have Christ, who was sinless, merciful. He only, he wasn't man, obviously he was eternal God, and he wasn't interested in glorifying himself. He wanted to glorify the Father, and he didn't aspire to sovereignty, though he is sovereign, he aspired to servanthood. So polar opposites. Um, and obviously, if it wasn't for Christ's humility, there would be no salvation for us. So, Laura, do you think of any... Uh, good examples uh, that we can demonstrate gospel humility to our prideful culture and, and the world around us? So I know I can do this in terms of my job. Yeah. Um, as a nurse? As a nurse in the emergency department. it's We see sometimes the worst of humanity. Yeah, the most brokenness. We are, and as the nurse, you're basically that front line to the patient and sometimes like the liaison to the doctors and whatnot. So oftentimes I can find myself becoming angry mm. with patients and coworkers just because it's like, well, this isn't the right thing. Or if a patient's family member comes at me yeah. and I think, how dare you? Yeah. Or like, don't you know, I can choose, like I choose your needle size. Like all these things, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But then I have to remember, like, and it goes along with everything with Pastor Joe's um, exchange life, is just that I have to put myself completely aside. And I have to say, it's not Laura who's the nurse, it's Christ who's the nurse through me. So they're not insulting me, they're insulting Christ in me. And it allows me to kind of reframe my thinking. And instead of coming back at the people who are offending me or insulting my pride as their nurse or as a person, my responses are much more gracious and forgiving. And I find that each shift is actually like exponentially better doing that way. Um, And I mean, there have been a few people that have been like, every time I see you, you're always smiling. And I'm like, eh, it's not me. I mean, it's because <laughs> it's not me because I'd be a miserable person. Yeah. You mentioned something about it not being Laura the nurse, but Christ the nurse. You know, so I defined pride before as the idolatry of self. So your example of that made me think of, you know, what would be a good definition of humility. And I think humility could simply be defined as not I, but Christ. Yes. Yeah. And it's just when you look around and see people trying to get higher or get better or be more popular or defend themselves. And it's like when you just let, well, when you let all of that go, mm. 
because why are you trying to do those things to make myself look better, to make people like me, to make people think I'm this or I'm that or want to hang out like with me or be in the popular crowd. And it's, it's all self, it's all self-serving, which ultimately at the end of the day for what? Like, okay, so people like you more and they think you're cooler or the patients were nice to you. Like, was it for God's glory or for mine? That's a good yeah. point. And I, and I think that's where pride can get very subtle too, because a lot of people might not realize, you know, even people pleasing or, um, you know, is a form of pride. And it's because what it, what you're also trying to do is you're trying to make up for whatever emotional wounds are there. Um, but when you're trying to do that any other way apart from Christ, it's pride. That's yeah. a good nuance. All right. All right. So our last segment uh, is always the director's cuts. Anything in particular this week that you had to, to leave off the table? Um, that's a good question. I got to be thinking about this question more often. Or just make it up on the spot. <laughs> um, there wasn't uh, really a whole lot I left out in terms of um, the understanding of the passage itself. Um, it was, there's so much written on pride, so much I read on pride, that it was probably hard um, it was hard to not bring in, you know, so many more quotes or so many more references. But, um, so, so I, th I think probably what I left out are some of those things where it was, um, some quotes that I've, that I saw about, uh, pride and, um, and I'll give, I'll give like, you know, one or two of them, uh, now because that's the benefit of, of listening to this. Um, you know, so there was a book by, uh, David, uh, Paulison. It's called Seeing with New Eyes and in the book, he gives a list of um, a smattering of examples of the fig leaves we wear, obviously, you know, referencing um, the fig leaves that Adam and Eve put on in their, in their pride and shame. Um, but, you know, to, so some of those are um, really are born out of pride, even uh, s silly things like he writes in there, you know, we live or die vic vicariously with a sports team, you know, an aspect of pride. We run from problems by watching TV, drinking, smoking, promiscuity, workaholism, compulsive eating. Pride. We mock or put in a box those whose opinions or problems threaten our own commitments and behavior. Uh, pride. We get defensive, accusatory, testy, or talk loudly, or try to bully others to defend ourselves and make a show of competency. Uh, pride. We overdo penance by saying, poor me, I'm so horrible and such a failure, by expressing maudlin repentance and wallowing in failures. Uh, pride. So it was, so it was things like that, that I, you know, had to keep out of, that I kept out of the sermon, but a lot, it, there really is, I mean, you could, we could do a whole sermon series on pride. Uh, and then another one was uh, crazy busy, uh, which is a book by pastor Kevin DeYoung. Um, and he, he well, I'll read a quote, I'll read the, a full quote from him. He says, uh, pride is subtle and shape-shifting. There's more of it at work in our hearts than we know, and more of it pulsing through our busyness than we realize. Pride is the villain with a thousand faces. People pleasing, pats on the back, performance evaluation, possessions, proving myself, pity, poor planning, power, perfectionism, position, prestige, and posting. And he says, here's the bottom line. Of all the possible problems contributing to our busyness, it's pretty good. Bet that one of the most pervasive is pride. 
He said, just remember, it's not supposed to be about you. Uh, feed people, not your pride. Obviously, the context he was talking about pride in was um, in trying to refrain from busyness in order to serve God and serve others. But again, I think a lot of things that we don't automatically attribute to pride, we tend not to think of as prideful. So yeah, those subtle and shape-shifting ways, it was, I wanted to bring attention to so many more aspects of pride than I was able to in the sermon. So that's probably what got left on, on the, the chopping block. <laughs> very good. All right. That's going to be our time for the week. Thank you very much, Pastor Ken and Pastor Ken wife, Laura. Thank you for joining us this week. And uh, next week we are in Daniel chapter five. We're only doing up to cha chapter six, and then we will begin our Advent season. Thank you for listening in, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Next week, we discuss Daniel chapter 5. There's a new king in town. This is the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar, King Belshazzar. And he too is having problems with visions and must rely on Daniel's help in order to understand what God has in store for him. Thank you very much for your time and have a blessed week.